0: Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, howdy, y'all. My name is uh, Nick Jankowski. I'm the associate pastor here at Mosaic Church. And uh we are so excited that y'all have come out. Uh if this is your first time joining us or if perhaps if you've been, I believe they say in Wisconsin up up north, is that up north for the past couple of weeks, uh let me just catch you up on what we've been talking about for the past few Sundays. We're actually uh smack dab in the middle of a series called The Games Running Your Race in honor of the Olympic Games that are upcoming here in the next couple of days. And in this series, we've been exploring this idea and the truths of the Christian life through sports analogies that are found in Scripture. That's right, the Bible talks about sports, believe it or not. And today, we're going to continue our conversation by exploring a teaching that examines how our Christian life is comparable to a boxing match or a mixed martial art fight. Now, PSA before I go any further, because I know some of you. Some of you are sitting here thinking, yes, I know God wanted me to finally roundhouse that coworker that's been annoying me for all this time. Before you start picturing visions of throwing haymakers from your cubicle, let me just remind you that these are sports analogies and not actual practical instructions for social interactions at the office, okay? Uh, Also that being said, for those of you in the audience today who might be a little bit uh, unnerved or perhaps feeling a little bit um, turned off by the idea of comparing our Christianity to a brutal street fight, let me just remind you that this is in fact the best fight, the best fight that you could ever hope to be involved in as a Christ follower. And before we begin our examination of the text, I want to stop this morning and invite us to go to prayer. Together to inquire of God to speak to our hearts. This morning, we do this on Sundays, whether it's myself, Pastor Jason, Don from the behind the piano, because we recognize that as flawed and broken people, myself included, we need God's Spirit to speak to our hearts to reveal the truth and the light of His Word. So, with that being said, would you join me as we pray? God, we pause this morning to collectively welcome you into our presence. We need you to speak to us this day through your word, as we do every day, that we might be transformed more and more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. We intentionally at this point, Father God, set aside all of our human distractions, the circumstances of our lives, and our presupposed ideas about the reality of life, in order, God, that we may make room in our souls for you to speak the truth of your word to us. Come today, God, we pray. Come today and change us from the inside out. And let us not leave here the same way as which we arrived. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty and powerful name. Amen. Amen. I want to talk today from the book of First Timothy, more specifically, uh, Timothy chapter 6, verse 11 and 12. And if you have your Bible or you have your Bible app, I want to encourage you to turn there. And when I say that, I'm going to keep saying that every Sunday because I want to see more Bibles in the crowd. Christ followers, as believers in Jesus, we should know how to navigate his words, and not just kind of get lazy when we got the words on the screen, though that happens, that's there for a reason, or when we get the words handed to us on a song sheet in the morning. Bring your Bibles, put it on the app, bring it with you. But if this morning you don't have your Bible with you, that's okay. We love you, and you can find the verse on the song sheet that you received when you came in. So if you're turning there in your Bibles, let me know when you're there by saying Bucks and Six. All right, a lot of people are there. All right, so the, the, uh, God's word says this this morning in uh, 1 Timothy 6, verse 11 and 12. But you, man of God, flee from, uh, free, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life for which you were called and when you made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. This is the word of God for us today. Amen. This morning, I want to teach on the danger of losing perspective. Specifically, the danger that arises when our perspective shifts and our eyes move away from focusing on Jesus, his beauty and his majesty, and we become more focused on our our temporary circumstances of life. You may have heard it said that perspective is everything. And I think most of us here could probably agree with the truth of that statement, because for the most part, we all understand that our perspective has the power to both shape and inform our actions and attitudes in every situation of life. I remember my first memorable lesson in understanding how perspective has the power to shape my attitude. It happened on the football field in high school. Now, when I say this, I'm talking about that magical time of year called two-a-day practices. And when I say magical, I mean horribly awful. Because two-a-day practices were a grueling two-week mini-camp before the season started that consisted of practices in both morning as well as the afternoon to be conducted in the blazing heat of late August. Two-a-day practices in my mind in high school were basically licensed for my football coach to come up with the most sadistic and the most borderline abusive conditioning drills that he could think of to put us through before we got into the season. My torture instrument that year came in the form of a hill that was conveniently located directly northwest of the football fields. This hill, we ran up and down more times, and perhaps in more unique ways than I ever care to remember. We ran up this hill. We bear crawled up and down this hill. We crab walked up and down this hill. We carried each other on our backs up and down this hill over and over again. And in fact, the uh, conditioning was so intense that that hill became known as Hamburger Hill because of all the hamburgers and other lunch items that were thrown up on it during two-a-days. And throughout the course of these literal ups and downs of these practices, our coaches would start to um, say things about perspective. They would get really start doing that coach speak, right? And they would start to talk to us about the importance of perspective. And they would say things like, team, the pain that you're experiencing right now will one day become the endurance that you will need to cross the goal line in the fourth quarter of the big game. Things like that. And to me, it sounded a little bit disingenuous since they weren't the ones actually running up and down the hill with us, but nonetheless, their point was this. They wanted us to have a larger perspective that extended beyond the temporary discomfort we were feeling in that moment. They wanted us to hold on into our mind's eye the yet unseen things of the season. They wanted us to picture a winning season and not the pain of running up and down Hamburger Hill. They wanted us to picture a playoff berth and not the fact that we were doing burpees over and over and over again. They wanted us to picture in our mind the unseen vision of winning a state championship and not the fact that we were thirsty because we were practicing at 100 degree plus heat. And of course, the truth is my coaches were 100% right. Perspective was everything in that moment. But for me, I struggled to see beyond the pain of that moment. I struggled because my perspective would often drift more towards seeking relief in that moment rather than focusing all my attention and perspective on the goal of having a winning season. I was distracted by that moment. And in my short-sightedness, I would often seek to take shortcuts. I would give less than 100% effort. I would, in those moments, even when I got desperate, feign illness now before you get too hard on me for being overly soft in high school let me just tell you that I don't think I was the only person who had that perspective as we ended up going two and seven that year as a football team apparently monkey rolling up and down hamburger hill was not as important as the coaches had led us to believe But the same principle of maintaining press perspective in the face of opposition on the football field is also true when we encounter difficulty in our journey of faith. Because in case you have yet to recognize, the Christian journey of faith is hard. The Christian journey of faith is hard, and if you don't believe me, just pause for a moment to consider the fact of the sports analogies that we've been talking about over these last two weeks. Last week, we learned from the book of Philippians that the Christian life requires perseverance to push on towards the goal to receive the prize for which God has called us. The very fact that there is a mention of perseverance implies that there is also struggle, is there not? Two weeks ago, we also learned from the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 9 that, that if we are Christ's followers, we must put ourselves into rigorous, strict training in order to receive a crown that cannot perish. Now, as I look across the crowd here, I know some of you are athletic minded in nature. And for anybody who has ever competed professionally or competed for an athletic event and gone through the strict training, you know, that the rigorous preparation that is required to win is not an easy feat. It's hard. And these athletic ideas, these sports analogies, aren't the only place in Scripture that tell us life will be hard as Christians. In Galatians 6-9, we are told that not to become weary in doing good. The very fact that the Apostle Paul has to warn us of not growing spiritually fatigued, at least implies that there is an, a possibility or a temptation that we can grow tired in our Christian faith. And Jesus, Jesus who never pulled any punches with his words, also warned about some of the difficulties for those who would choose to follow after him. Specifically in John 16, we see Jesus say this, in this life, you will have trouble. In Matthew 10, Jesus said, you will be hated by everyone because of me. And Jesus told his followers and later on in Matthew 16, 24, that they were to deny themselves to take up their cross and follow after him. Lest we forget that a cross is not an instrument of ease. It was a tool of death. Over and over again throughout scripture, we see that the Bible talks about the high degree of difficulty of life for any who choose to venture out onto the narrow path. That's not to say, church, that there isn't incredible joy and triumph when it comes to following Jesus. There is, but not at the expense of trials and hardships. The plain truth of the matter is, church, that the rigors of the Christian life, the rigors of pursuing Jesus can be downright hard and exhausting. Creating time in the morning to spend time with Jesus in his word is hard. Getting up early to pray is hard. Loving others sacrificially is hard. Trusting God with my future is hard. Tithing when money is tight is hard. Forgiving others when they've hurt me is hard. And just like on the football field, those moments of difficulty in my faith can cause me to focus more on the temporary discomfort that I'm feeling than to focus my perspective on the beauty of Jesus. And in those moments, I confess to you this, church. There are days when I don't read my Bible. There are days when I don't pray. There are days when I don't love my neighbor the way I'm supposed to. There are days I don't sacrifice for my wife There are indeed days when I will willingly concede victory to my sinful thoughts and desires. Sometimes I grow weary of doing good in the Christian life because my perspective has shifted. And I bet, church, if we were honest this morning, I'm probably not the only one who would say that. I bet if I were to ask you this morning, there would be others in the audience who would say that there have been times when you've been fatigued by your faith, when you've grown weary of doing good as well. When your perspective has shifted and you become more focused on self-preservation than on running the race of faith. Maybe for some of you here this morning, you would say that your perspective has shifted because as fallen, broken human beings, we're not naturally inclined towards godliness. And it's just easier to take, do what comes natural to us. Maybe for others of you who are here today, you would say that your perspective has shifted off of Jesus because you failed repeatedly in trying to live this Christian life. And rather than suffer the shame or guilt of trying again, you just throw your hands up and say, I give up. Maybe for others of you here, your perspective has shifted, and this is one that I struggle with as well, is that it's difficult at times to feel like my actions have any consequence in the world around me. We were just talking about as a team this morning, as we scroll through our social media feed, we're daily encountering heartbreaking injustices. And it's easy in those moments to start to think, what does my life matter? And so our perspective shifts. And maybe for some of you, your perspective has shifted because of empty religion. Maybe you've been told time and time again that you need to do things better, act better in some way to try and please this God in the sky. And so it rings hollow for you. Whatever the reasons, if you've walked long enough with Jesus, you've probably encountered moments in your faith where your perspective has become more focused on the temporary as opposed to the eternal. The good news, church, is you're not the only one. The good news, church, is you're not the first group of people to ever struggle with this. The early church struggled with this as well. So let's turn back to 1st Timothy and again explore what God's word has to say about the importance of maintaining a larger perspective as we encounter spiritual hamburger hills in our life. As you turn there, let me just give you some quick background on what's happening in the book of 1st Timothy. After the Apostle Paul's dynamic conversion to Christianity on the road to Damascus, he sets about and is called by God to begin traveling throughout ancient, this ancient area to begin church planning and sharing the gospel in largely non-Jewish communities. And as the Apostle Paul traveled, he began to create teams of leaders, co-laborers in the gospel. And Timothy was one of these co-laborers. We learn in the book of Acts that Paul met Timothy on a missionary journey to the ancient city of Lystra. And when he encounters this young man, he is so impressed by his devotion to Jesus that he wants to recruit him on his team. He's like that all-star college recruit. And Paul says, I want that dude on my team. I'm going to draft him. So he brings Timothy along with him on this missionary journey. And sometime later, Paul begins to receive word that the church in Ephesus had begun to go really, really sideways. There were some very wealthy and uh, influential individuals who had infiltrated the church and began to spread false teaching about Jesus and what it meant to live for him. And so in response to these false teachers, Paul says, Timothy, you go. You need to go and correct what is happening in this church. And so he sends Timothy, his all-star, to the church of Ephesus And when Timothy arrives, he pens this letter to him that we now know as the book of 1 Timothy that contained instructions for how to complete his mission. And so when we arrive in the book of 1 Timothy in chapter 6 and come to verse 11, Paul has just concluded describing some of the anti-Christian virtues that these false teachers were extolling. And now he's turning his attention to focus specifically on how Timothy's life should contrast that of these false teachers. And so he says this in verse 11. But you, man of God, flee from all this, talking about these false teachers and their virtues, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. In other words, Paul is saying this. Hey, Tim, I know I sent you to the church of Ephesus, And as I sent you, I've given you instructions on how to speak and how to instruct these people. But you, you, Tim, you're supposed to be different. You are a man of God. And as a minister of the gospel, you are to live differently than these false teachers. You're supposed to flee from what they are doing and instead pursue these godly virtues. And that word pursue in verse 11 gives us some practical insight into the kind of effort that the Apostle Paul was expecting from his all-star player. In the original Greek, that word pursue actually means to follow zealously or to press on after something. You see, Timothy was supposed to live differently than the world by habitually making a choice to pursue vigorously, earnestly and zealously Christian virtues and you church as ministers of the gospel as you as men and women of God are called to that same pursuit as well I love how pastor and author Stephen Cole summarized Paul's words in this moment he says you won't accidentally attain these qualities by hanging out at church long enough you've got to go after them deliberately and over the long haul You see, in piling virtue upon virtue, Paul is trying to raise Timothy's vision. He's trying to give him a higher aspiration of the Christian life. But here's the thing. In doing so, Paul rightly recognizes this, that it will be difficult, indeed hard, to live different The truth is that going God's way, going against the flow, pursuing righteous living is always never going to be easy. There will always be inherent difficulty with that. So in verse 12, Paul tries to expand Timothy's perspective and consequently our perspective as well as he takes on this difficult task of righteous living. And so he says this beginning in verse 12, Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life for which you were called when you made the good confession in the presence of witnesses. Now, fight the good fight of faith. That is one of those words in the church that kind of function a lot like a Christianese phrase. As Christians and believers, as Christ followers, we like to throw that word around quite a bit, that phrase around quite a bit, without ever actually stopping to consider what it means or what we're actually saying. But if you stop for just a moment this morning and consider Paul's phraseology, it is a strange comment to make, or at the very least on its face is an oxymoron. Specifically because good is a curious word to associate with fight. Especially when we understand the truth of the original Greek that good in the original Greek meant beautiful. So we would be more theologically accurate to say that Paul is saying, Timothy, fight the beautiful fight of faith. Now, church, I've watched a lot of boxing matches I've watched quite a few MMA fights, and I can say with a high degree of confidence that there would be a lot of words that I would choose to describe a professional fight, and that beautiful would definitely not be one of those words. I may more appropriately choose words like violent, bloody, painful, and destructive, but not beautiful. Beautiful. And the violence of these fights would have been even more evident in Paul's day. Because in Paul's day, professional fights consisted of boxers who put on gloves that were made out of tanned oxhide and were sewn together by strings of iron and lead. Now, just imagine for a moment the damage and destruction that that would do getting clocked upside the face with that. It's not going to be beautiful, And it's probably not going to be very good. And yet, Paul in this moment, knowing this, still says, Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. And so he's telling Timothy in this moment that Timothy, yes, there is indeed one fight that is good. There is indeed one fight that is emphatically beautiful. And is the fight of the Christian faith. It is the fight of the soul and so Paul is pointing Timothy to have a larger perspective of his Christian life that is needed to both um, for him as he sets his hand to the arduous and lifelong task of pursuing godly living. He's calling Timothy to continually cast his eyes on Jesus in every circumstance and situation in life. How? How is this fight in which he is calling us to good? How is this fight different from any other fight that we may encounter? In order to answer that question, church, in order to tell you how this is a good fight, we need to survey the entirety of Scripture to understand that this is a good fight that we are called to engage with. And so the Christian fight is good because we have the best of coaches. The Christian fight is indeed a good fight because we have the best of coaches. The leader and commander of all believers is our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. And In Hebrews 2.10, it declares that he is the captain of our salvation and that he never fails to lead his team to victory. He never makes a useless movement. He never errs in his judgment. Jesus never makes a mistake. His eyes are always on his followers and even to the greatest and the least. And even those who are humblest in the Lord's army, even those who may be weakest in the Lord's army are never forgotten. Because the truth is church that every soul whom has been purchased and redeemed by his blood is far too precious to ever be wasted or lost. And surely that is good. The Christian fight is good because it's fought with the best of promises. It's fought with the best of promises. First Peter two one through four says that everyone who follows after Jesus, meaning us, seated here, Timothy, everyone who follows after Jesus, to them belong exceedingly great and precious promises, all of which are yes and amen in Christ. Each of those incredible promises are sure to be filled by the one who cannot lie, as Titus 1 1:2 declares, and by the one who has the power and indeed church, the will to be able to do the what He has said. Through Christ Church we are promised in Romans 6:14, that sin no longer has mastery of us. In Romans, in uh, Philippians 1.6, I apologize, we are promised that God who began a good work in you will see it through until completion. In Isaiah 43.2, we are promised that God will walk with us through the deep waters and the troubled waters of life. In John 27, we are promised that there is no one and no situation or circumstance that can ever pluck us out of the powerful hand of Jesus. And in Hebrews 13.5, we are told that God will never leave you or forsake you. A perspective focused on those promises is worth more than its weight of gold when we encounter difficulty in our faith. And surely, church, that is good. The Christian's fight is good because of the soul, the benefits to the soul of the one who fights it. All other fights, if you think about it, have a bad, a lowering, or demoralizing tendency. They often call forth the worst of human emotions. They harden our conscience and the foundations of our faith and morality. But the fight of the Christian faith alone tends to give rise to the best of which is inside of us. It promotes through the power of the Holy Spirit humility and charity. It leads to an awareness of others in situations that are outside of ourselves, and surely this is good. The Christian fight is good because it does good for the world. Think about this, church. When it comes to fights, all other fights tend to have a devastating and ravaging and injurious effect to the component to the opponents. If you happened to watch UFC 264 last week, you saw Conor McGregor snap his leg He could tell you that fighting has injurious effects. Whenever fighting goes, it wastes and does harm. Injury to persons, feelings, and morality invariably accompany it. Far different are the effects produced by the Christians who fight the good fight of faith. When we find a city or a town where there is a gathering, an assembled gathering like there is here today of believers, you will also find the sick who are cared for, the orphaned who have a home, the unlovable who are loved. The church is good, and surely this is makes our fight good. And so Paul in this moment is urging Timothy to settle in his mind once and for all the eternal perspective that it is a good fight, A truly good fight. An emphatically good fight. Because Paul understood the necessity of this perspective. As he wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, that we only presently see in part, as if we are looking through a glass darkly. In other words, our limited perspective as human beings can distract us from seeing the eternal. We see the struggle but not the end. We can see the campaign, but not the reward. We can see the cross, but not the crown. We can see people who are giving humbly and praying, Christians who are laboring for Jesus, enduring hardships in this life that are despised by this world, but we don't see the God whose hand is over them, the God who is smiling over them, and the eternity that is being prepared for them. These are the unseen things of the Christian life, the things which are promised to those who are in Christ but are yet to be revealed. And when we lose sight of those unseen things in Christ, of the riches of our faith, it's easy to shift our, pers- our perspective off the beauty and majesty of Jesus and become more concerned with the circumstances around us. Church, when we grow weary of doing good in the Christian life, Indeed, if there are those here who have ever felt that perhaps you don't even want to be part of this fight because of the pain and discomfort that it causes. I want to encourage you this morning to be basked and bathed and encouraged by Paul's words in First Timothy to have a proper perspective. For if there was anyone in this world... Whoever had the ability to say, I want nothing to do with this, it was the apostle Paul, who suffered incredible hardships. And yet we see in Paul's life that he routinely and continuously charged the enemy camp. In fact, at the end of Paul's life, he wrote Timothy, and he said to Timothy, knowing that death was imminent, Timothy, I have fought the good fight of faith. I have finished the race. Paul vigorously continually, continued warring for the faith of the gospel because he was enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit to have a Christ-centered perspective that gave him a priceless view of the beauty and majesty and eternal perspective of the Christian life. Church, our ability, our victory to fight the good fight hinges on eternal perspective. Our victory to fight the good fight hinges on an eternal perspective. One of my favorite movies of all time is Dumb and Dumber. Now, I recognize that that probably says more about me than it does about the movie itself. Nonetheless, I proudly will tell you that Dumb and Dumber is one of my top five Desert Island movies. You can come debate me after service if you'd like. But one of my favorite scenes from Dumb and Dumber involves Jim Carrey's character, Lloyd Christmas, as he is exiting a 7-Eleven, and he tries to awkwardly initiate a conversation with a couple of guys standing outside the convenience store. And in this classic scene, he says, Hey, guys. Whoa. Big gulps, huh? All right. Well, see you later. And walks off. It's fantastically random and incredibly quotable, and I love it. But here's why I love that scene from Dumb and Dumber, because the temptation is when we hear a message like this today, we can be tempted to respond to pain or discomfort that we experience in our faith or the pain that perhaps others are encountering in their faith journey, much the same way Lloyd Christmas did, to glibly kind of respond by offering cliche Christian phrases, and platitudes. Like Lloyd Christmas, we might be tempted when somebody is struggling in their faith to simply walk up, pat them on the back, and say, shift your, per- shift your perspective. Well, see you later, and walk off. But the purpose of this message is not to minimize or to devalue the pain that you might be going through in your faith that you're wrestling with, nor is it to make the fact that we should do that to others When we encounter others here at Mosaic Church and outside of here that are struggling in their faith, we should lovingly walk alongside them and encourage them as they go. So how do we begin then to cultivate this eternal perspective to have victory in the good fight of faith? Or perhaps the better question is, how do we develop the skill of the spiritual skill of seeing the unseen in our daily lives. How do we go from seeing not only the cross, but also the crown? The truth is, is that seeing the unseen is a description of what? Faith, right? Seeing the unseen is faith. And in God's word, he tells us clearly how faith is originated, the origin of faith. In fact, in Romans ten seventeen, he says that faith, comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so one way we can begin church today as we walk out of here to begin to shift and cultivate an eternal perspective is by beginning to spend time in God's word. Now, hear me this morning, church. If you have not cultivated or began to practice the spending time in God's word, I'm not saying this because it needs to be one more thing you need to do. I'm not saying it because it's a religious activity that somehow is going to make God happy. I'm saying it because the power of God's word has to, the uh, power and ability to shift your perspective off what is temporary to what is eternal. It has the ability to take my eyes off myself and focus it on Jesus and the more and more I spend time in God's Word, the more and more the Holy Spirit begins to cultivate the, un- the reality, the undeniable reality of God's faithfulness, His character, and His promises in my life. And so church, this morning, if you have not practiced getting into God's Word, do it today. Do it today. Don't wait don't wait. If it's just as simple as starting with five minutes, reading about Jesus in the book of Matthew, start there. Start to learn more about this God man that loves you so much that he would go to the cross to die for you. Start to learn more about this man, Jesus, whom we are so obsessed with here at Mosaic Church. Don't wait until your faith is shipwrecked on the rocks of doubt. Don't wait until your circumstances overwhelm your perspective of God. Start now to cultivate that eternal perspective by spending time in God's word. Because that eternal perspective is what we have gives us victory in the good fight of faith. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering.